prayer of Jesus cost him his blood, cost him his life. No one in all of earth's history could ever hope to get to heaven unless Jesus was condemned in their place. That is the bottom line, folks. Get that and get it good. Open your Bible, please, this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 23. Luke chapter 23. I believe that God is the author of all human life and all human history. Someone has rightly said that history is his story. There is a beginning to earth's history. And one day there will be an ending to earth's history. A beginning and an ending of all earth's history. And somewhere in the middle is what we'll call a focal point, a focal point of all Earth's history. I believe that focal point was the day that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for our sins on the cross. I believe that all Earth's history finds its focal point right there, that day that God himself hung on the cross shedding his blood paying for our sins I believe that is the focal point in our scripture reading we find our Lord Jesus has just been nailed to the cross they just got him up there it won't be long before he gives up the ghost and dies they'll take his lifeless body off the cross and they'll put it in a nearby tomb and then three days later he will rise from the dead. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus remained on earth for the next 40 days speaking to the disciples and showing them things about the kingdom of God. And then he ascended back to heaven where he remains now. And we are awaiting his glorious return. He will come again. But in our scripture we find that after Jesus was newly on the cross, he did something unusual. He began to pray. And he prayed for those that crucified him. He didn't pray for himself. He prayed for those that were crucifying him. And he was asking God the Father to forgive them. And in verse 34, I want you to read it out loud with me, please. Luke 23, 34 Let's read now together. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now theologians, men and women, who spend their whole lives studying the scriptures, theologians believe that if Jesus had not have prayed these words, Father, forgive them, that God the Father might right then and there reach down and destroyed everyone if Jesus had not have prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Say, has it ever occurred to you that Jesus is in heaven right now at the Father's right hand praying for us? He's making intercession. He's praying for us right now. Say, how do we know that? 
In the book of Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them unto the uttermost. That come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's at the Father's right hand. And he's interceding for us. Now that's an interesting thought. The question is. How often has Jesus had to pray and intercede for us after we've made some blunder, after we've committed some sin, after we've broken some promise, after we've entertained a, uh, an ungodly thought? How often has Jesus had to, right then and there, intercede for you and me and pray for us that God not destroy us? Interesting thought, isn't it? Makes you wonder. Well, today we're going to look at these words of Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and hopefully get a little better and deeper understanding. Let's begin with prayer. And now, Heavenly Father, open the eyes of our understanding and show us things in the scriptures that we can increase our faith and love for you. We can increase our devotion, our steadfastness, our accountability, our faithfulness. Father, I ask you to bless your people. And I pray for those watching online that you would touch their hearts today. And let us all hear from heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing I'd like you to notice. i got three points for my sermon. Point number one. The first thing I'd like you to notice is that the Lord Jesus did something that no one else, at least up to that point, had ever done. He turned the cross into a prayer closet. He turned the cross into a place of prayer. And um, this is where he really met with the Heavenly Father. He was praying to God, and this was not normal, because normally when people back in that time were crucified, and crucifixion was the, the big you know, Roman way to put people to death. The Romans were great at borrowing ideas. And it was actually the Greeks who invented crucifixion. The Romans borrowed that idea and they perfected it. They made crucifixion to be the most horrible way of dying. There were many ways to die. They could shoot you full of arrows, cut you with a, you know, through the midsection with a sword, cut your head off, they could stone you to death, throw you off a cliff, drown you. There's various ways they had of killing people back then, just like there are today. But the one way that they loved to do it with these convicted criminals, and they had to be non-Roman citizens. If you're a Roman citizen, you were exempt from crucifixion. <laughs> Unless you tried to bump off the, the emperor. You know, if you tried to assassinate Caesar, then they'd crucify you. But uh, whether you're a Roman citizen or not, but typically, crucifixion, by law, Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion. If they did things worthy of death, they'd be put to death other ways. But crucifixion dragged out the death process. Now, historical records tell us that during World War II, some of the Nazis, when they really wanted to be nasty uh, to someone and kill them, They'd hang them with a piano wire, you know, and they'd have a doctor listening to the heart. And then when they seemed to die, they'd cut them down and kind of revive them because they weren't quite dead. And then they'd do it again to them. 
And uh, some people had to go through that three and four times before they finally expired. Terrible, terrible thing. Well, the Romans delighted in crucifixion for their criminals. And uh, people would last sometimes three or four days on the cross before they'd finally, finally die. And so the, the cross was a horrible, miserable way to die. And Jesus turned it into a prayer closet. Normally, people, when they would be crucified, they'd be up there nailed to the cross and looking down at the spectators and they'd spit at them, they'd curse them, they'd scream, they'd cry. Some of them would cry for mummy. Some of them would beg to die, you know, early death sort of thing. They'd weep, they'd have remorse, and it was just a horrible, horrible scene. But not our Lord Jesus. Even the two thieves that were crucified on either side of him, even they at one point said some nasty things. But our Lord Jesus did something totally different. He turned the horror into a prayer meeting. And that's important for us because we need to learn that at times of difficulty, we need to turn that difficulty into a place of prayer. When you're going through something very difficult, traumatic. Turn it. Use it as an opportunity. Turn it into a little prayer closet. Times of difficulty can make the very best times for fellowship with God. Now, some of you are familiar with the name Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong, more commonly known as Chairman Mao, he was the Chinese leader who in 1945, 1949, Excuse me. He turned China into a communist country. Overnight, Christianity became an outlawed religion. Christian missionaries who had labored there for decades were now hunted down. Some of them were expelled from the country. Others were put to death. There's a story of one American missionary who was in China and had to flee for his life from the communist soldiers coming after him. They chased him into a jungle. He was terrified. All he could think of was climb a tree. <clears throat> so he did. He climbed a tree as high as he could. And he hung on for dear life, shivering. The Chinese communist soldiers were looking for him down below with their rifles and bayonets. And uh, they were going crazy looking for him. And he was up in that tree. And he started to pray. And the most amazing sense of God's presence came upon him. And peace flooded his soul like he's never, ever felt it ever before in his life. He had perfect peace and perfect harmony with Almighty God up in the top of the tree. Meanwhile, down below, the Chinese soldiers were running around crazy looking for this guy. All they had to do was look up and they would have seen him in the tree. But it never occurred to any of them to look up. I think God had something to do with that. Don't you? And after a number of hours, it got dark, the soldiers left, and the missionary was able to come down the tree and actually found his way out of the country and got back to America where he started going to the churches and giving his testimony in the pulpits. 
and he would talk about that experience he went through. But something he would always say, he said, I can't explain it, but I wish with all my heart that I was back in China, up at the top of that tree, in close fellowship with God. I had the most amazing sense of God's presence and peace and joy at the top of that tree. I've never experienced it before and I've not experienced it after, but I'd give anything if I could just go back and be there at the top of that tree with God. Well, our Lord Jesus was nailed to a cross and he turned the cross into a prayer closet. So please remember this the next time you're experiencing any kind of trouble or difficulty. Um, an idea. Why don't you turn your automobile, your car, into a prayer closet when you're, when you're driving someplace? That way, instead of shaking your fist and you know, saying nasty things about drivers in front of you and behind you, you can pray for them because they need the Lord. So that's just a thought. You know, um, my wife and I have been in Surrey now about 23 years. And this is no word of a lie. This is true. I've been driving uh, for about 50 years now. And I have never prayed as much while driving as I have since moving to Surrey in the last 23 years. So I believe your car really can become a little prayer closet. And I think it'll save you a lot of frustration. And so we made note earlier in the message that if Jesus had not have prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If he did not do that, it's quite possible that God would have reached down and just destroyed them all all those malefactors that nailed his son to the cross. He would have just barbecued them right there and then. So that's point one. But remember that the cross was Jesus' finest work on earth. That was the whole main reason why he came to earth, was to be the sacrificial lamb of God for you and for me. He did his greatest work on the cross. And that brings us to point number two. There's an implication in what Jesus said, Father, forgive them. There's an implication there, almost as if Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, but condemn me. Now that's interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible tells us, For he, that's God the Father, hath made him, that's God the Son, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He'd never had a bad thought. Never an unkind word. Never a sin. Imagine that. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what the Bible says. That's amazing. That the creator would die for the creature. That's an amazing thought. Show me another world religion that teaches that. You won't find it. So the prayer of Jesus cost him his blood. Cost him his life. 
no one in all of earth's history could ever hope to get to heaven unless Jesus was condemned in their place. That is the bottom line, folks. Get that and get it good. None of us have absolutely any hope at whatsoever of getting to heaven unless Jesus Christ was condemned in our place. We can't pay for our own sin. We can't do it. Imagine uh, a, a beautiful piece of pottery that falls off your shelf and hits the floor and breaks into about a dozen pieces. Can that pot fix itself? Yes or no? Some of you are looking at me, this is a trick question. No. No, it's a very simple one. The broken pottery cannot fix itself. It needs help. You and I are like that pottery. The moment we committed our first sin, it was like the, the first pin in our balloon. How many pins do you have to put into that balloon to pop it? Anyhow, what do you think? Ten? Hmm? Or maybe not just any pin. Maybe it has to be a great big fat pin. No, a tiny pin. The moment we committed our first sin, we blew it. We did that when we were young, when we disobeyed mom and dad, or we said something we shouldn't. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe none of us here have taken a gun and gone in and done mass shootings like they're doing in the States, and a little bit in Canada too, by the way. I learned this, maybe you've seen it too, that in the States they've had 264 or 65, 265 mass shootings since January of this year. That's the kind of world we're living in. But, but I was not there. I didn't pull the gun. No, praise the Lord. But there were other things you did. There's a whole lot more to sin than just murder. A whole lot more. Anything that's not perfectly righteous is sin. Anyhow, we don't have a hope of getting to heaven unless... God fixes the problem. And God came down to earth. His name was Jesus. And he died on the cross and was condemned in our place. He was made sin for us. And so when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, it's almost like he was saying, now this is when you understand the whole picture. It's almost like he was saying, forgive them, but condemn me. Let me pay what they owe. And that doesn't make sense to the human mind. Humans think of that as trash and foolishness. A lot of people, they, they write off Christianity just because of that. No way, no way would the Father, no way would God come down and pay for the, the sins of, of men himself. He, it's, that's craziness. Well, to our way of thinking it is. And why should God do it? Hmm? You know, our attitude is, well... You know, here's some perfect idiot and look at the mess he made of his life. He made his bed, let him sleep in it. He created his own mess, let him fix it. That's our attitude. But that's not God's attitude. Because God knew all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last man, woman, and young person throughout all history has sinned. No one can say, well, I've never sinned, not me. Others have, but I haven't. You can't say that because that's another sin. You just told a lie. We've all sinned, every one of us. Can't escape it. 
None of us can get to heaven apart from what Jesus did for us on the cross. So don't ever, ever think, well, I stand as good a chance of getting to heaven as the next man. You know, and when I die, the negotiation with God will begin. And I'll stand before God and he'll say, hmm, well, now, what have you done in life? And I'll start to tell God all my good things that I've done in life and the wonderful things. And he'll see that there's far more wonderful things and a few little things I shouldn't have done. But all this good outweighs this bad. Therefore, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Therefore, God will accept me. There's no difference between that and every other world religion, possibly with the exception of Buddhism. They don't believe in anything. anything. They don't believe in God at all. But you go to the other worldwide mainline religions, I'll say, and you ask them, how do you get to heaven? And after you sift through some of their, their jargon, some of their, their words, basically what they'll tell you is, well, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'll get to heaven. Those of you who are raised Catholic, huh? you ought to know that. But just about every world religion will tell you that. That's not what God tells us in the Bible. God tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God tells us that he himself came down. His name was Jesus. He died for you and for me. He suffered what we owe in hell. He paid for our sins. Well, that's very true. But praise the Lord, he raised himself from the dead. Death could not keep him in the grave. Now, point one, point two. Let's go a step further with this. Point number three. Now, Jesus asked the Father. He said, Father, forgive them. He said, for they know not what they do. It says that right there in verse uh, 30. 34. They know not what they do. There's a strong possibility that what Jesus was saying is he wasn't asking God to cancel out their sin. He wasn't asking that. Because obviously, you know, sin has got to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. Crimes have to be dealt with. The guy who started the fire across the street, they're eventually going to catch him. And that's good, that crime of his is going to have to be dealt with. Our sins are crimes against God. There were criminals running around crucifying God on the cross. Jesus may not have been saying, well, just cancel out all their sin. Just forget it. He was, may not have been saying that at all. He may have been saying something more like, postpone judging them postpone their judgment until they know what it is that they've done. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't understand. They don't know the extent of their sin. They don't realize it all. So at least postpone judgment until they realize, until they can figure it out. And even the centurion, after Jesus died and gave up the ghost, even the centurion that day said, truly, this was the Son of God. And so there's at least one man who started to realize what they had just done. Prior to that, he didn't even know. So I suggest to you that there is the mercy and patience of God. To not, you know, barbecue them right away. They've sinned. Yeah, they've sinned. And God is very patient. And I'd like to suggest to you that that is the nature of God. 
He's patient. But there comes an end to that patience. Sin has to be dealt with. And either Jesus Christ can deal with your sin or you can deal with it yourself. One or the other, right? Those are the options you have. And God in his love and mercy holds off judgment. That's why you see wicked people in the world prospering. That's why you see wicked, horrible men and women that know not God running around doing wild, crazy things, mass shootings, lighting fires, all kinds of terrible things that unsaved people do. Well, why doesn't God just smack them? Because maybe Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hold off that judgment, at least until they can realize what it is they've done. Seems to me that's more in the keeping with the nature of God. Forgiveness is one of the greatest virtues of God, is forgiveness. And it's supposed to be one of the greatest virtues of a Christian as well. <clears throat> Perhaps the name of Marganita Lasky is not familiar to you. Marganita Lasky was an avowed atheist. She ridiculed God and ridiculed people who believed in God, and she was an author as well, and so she made her voice known. She died in 1988 at 72 years of age due to smoking. But before she died, they interviewed her on TV. And here's the amazing thing. All of a sudden, in a, in a, in a moment of honesty, pure honesty, on TV cameras, Marganita Lasky said, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. She said, I have no one to forgive me. Very honest of her. But you know, she could have. She could have had forgiveness if she had come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. You know, Judas could have had forgiveness too if he had repented and come to Jesus. So we see the long-suffering of God. Russia has been in the news a lot lately, right? For the last three months or so. They've got this war going against Ukraine. They invaded Ukraine. Um, we pray daily for that war, that it'll end soon. But more than that, we pray that tens of thousands of people would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior somehow through the war. Now, Russia is no stranger to invasion. Back on November 30th, 1939, three months after World War II began, Russia decided it would invade Finland. And it was known as the Soviet-Finnish War. The war didn't go so well for Russia, that war against Finland. And they ended the war after three and a half months. On March 13, 1940, they ended it with a peace treaty with Finland. In fact, listen to this, the Soviets did so poorly in that war that it made Adolf Hitler think that Russia is easy target. And that's when he decided that he was going to attack Russia. And he did 15 months later. In 1941, he attacked Russia. That didn't go so good for Hitler, by the way. Now, something that happened during those three, three and a half months of war between 
uh, Russia and Finland. Something I want to tell you about, something really interesting, is that Finland captured seven uh, Soviet soldiers and condemned them to die by firing squad. They were being held in the town hall. That was their prison cell. The following morning at 6 a.m., they were to be shot. During the night, the red communist Soviet soldiers were cursing, pounding their fists on the wall. Some of them were crying, bemoaning their wives and children. Some were even cursing God. But there was one soldier sitting by himself, quiet. His name was Koskinen. And all of a sudden, he started to sing. And he started to sing a Christian song. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast, there by his love o'ershaded, sweetly my soul shall rest. The other six soldiers burst out in mockery and laughing, calling him a fool, calling him ridiculous and silly. They mocked him. But Koskinen replied, and he said, Comrades, he said, when I first heard that song, I laughed too. But it got to me. He said, it's cowardly to hide what you believe in. And last night, I decided that I wanted the God that my mother believed in. I wanted him to be my God too. And so I prayed like the thief on the cross. And I asked Jesus to forgive me and to cleanse my life and make me ready to stand before him. And so during the night, Bible verses came to my mind. Bible verses my mother taught me. They started springing up in my mind. And this Christian song kept going over and over in my mind. Well, there was silence now in the prison cell. The soldiers were silent. And one of them finally said, Koskinen, you're right. If only I knew there was mercy for me. But I have shed much blood. I have reviled God. I've trampled on that which is holy. I know there is a hell. And I shall be in it. Pray for me, Koskinen. And those two soldiers got down on their knees and started to pray. To make a long story short, by 4 a.m., all seven of those Russian soldiers were praying and found the Savior. At 6 a.m., between two rows of soldiers, the seven condemned men were marched out to die. They asked permission to die with their faces uncovered. And standing there, they began to sing, all of them. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast. It was the only hymn they knew. 
there by his love o'ershaded, sweetly my soul shall rest. At that point, the sergeant in the Finnish army, he cried to the executioners, Ready! The Soviet soldiers continued to sing, Hark, tis the voice of angels born in a song to me. Aim, cried the sergeant, over the field of glory, over the jasper sea. Fire! Pow, 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 pow. Seven red Soviet soldiers went to be with Jesus. They had all found Jesus in a dark prison cell. They had their sins forgiven them by a loving Savior who once prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I believe that the hand of God is holding back judgment on this world. We live in days of mercy and grace. It's amazing that our country hasn't collapsed, that the world hasn't collapsed, plunged into another world war or something. How long before God's hand comes down upon our country? Before God's hand might come down on one of us because we've not been living our lives honestly before the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.